Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman after a, another fantastic, wildly entertaining college football Saturday. You never know, Bruce, what's going to happen exactly. And I certainly did not expect the Alabama-Texas A&M game to come down to the very last play of the game. Nor did I. Um, we all know the history of Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. We know, we think, and there was payback last year. None of, neither one of us saw it coming where Zach Calzada played by far his best game and got the best of Nick Saban's defense. And this offense has been atrocious, but obviously Bryce Young was a game-time decision. He did not play. Jalen Milrow, the young quarterback for Alabama, definitely makes some plays with his legs, but turned it over a bunch. You had some missed field goals. Um, if I had told you the game was going to be decided on the last play, what odds would you have given me that it would come down to that? Um, 50 to one. No, not necessarily because kind of like the game last year, right? It wasn't A&M a huge underdog in that game too. Sometimes you just don't know. But the weird thing about this game was that what, like you mentioned, I mean, A&M scored 20 points and 17 of them were off uh, turnovers. Jalen Milrow had three of them. Um, and so for that game to come down to the very last second, I'm not saying like Alabama, I'm kind of saying Alabama handed them those points, but it was just this weird, weird game where Alabama was clearly the better team. Uh, but it seemed like the game, it seemed to me pretty early on the game plan for the quarterback was don't lose us the game. It was kind of the reminded me of when Jalen Hurts was a freshman and he was just, they didn't trust him passing he just took off running all the time, but he almost did lose them the game with those fumbles. Um, Jimbo, obviously taking a lot of criticism, including from Johnny Manziel over that, that play call at the end. Um, I, after watching the replay several times, I kind of wonder if uh, Haynes King just didn't throw it quickly enough, but anyway, so the question now is they're going to go play Tennessee this week, a rivalry that Alabama has won 15 straight times. And I was talking to John Hayes before this. I don't even remember when the last time would have been that people thought Tennessee had a realistic chance. Do you think they have a realistic chance? I do think that. Um, I talked to one of the LSU coaches the night before the game uh, Friday when they were going to play Tennessee. And this person was like, their defense is way better than people realize. And we we've talked a bunch about Hendon Hooker and that offense and, they're definitely, even without Cedric Tillman, who's one of the best receivers in the country, who's missed the last couple of games and he did not play on Saturday. They're really explosive, but their defense is very good. I would say, um, and I was around this team a little bit when it happened, you know, people thought Lane Kiffin's team, the, his one year in Knoxville was going to get smashed and they kept it down to the wire, you know, other than a you know, blocked field goal. It was a nail biter. Now that team had Eric Berry and that had a couple of, you know, first round picks, but it did not have an offense like this, right? He got um, his quarterback to play a lot better over the course of the year. And I guess it was 2010, but or 2009, whichever that was, but 
it's been so long since they match up, but right now, Tennessee looks like they're playing with a ton of confidence. They're a fun team to watch. Uh, you know, if Bryce Young's back, I think it's different, right? I mean, the way I looked at this was you had Alabama ran for almost 300 yards yesterday. Uh, te- Texas A&M ran for like 70. But I think the biggest gap was that one team had four turnovers, one had only one. And that was the difference. If you can't take care of the ball, all bets are off. And I think Tennessee has, you know, you remember you and I were both in Austin when uh, Quinn Ewers was healthy in that first half. And there was some big plays. It was a bunch of plays that were almost big plays. And I think that Tennessee has a better passing game than than Texas does even. They may not have, without Tillman, I don't know if Xavier Worthy, they have somebody quite like that. And they certainly don't have a running back uh, like Bijan Robinson, but they they have a real high-powered offense. I cannot wait to to see that game next weekend. Yeah, to me, if, if this were the only uh, scare that Alabama's had, then you would say, well, if they get Bryce Young back, and I kind of think they will based on some of Saban's postgame comments, they'll be fine. But like you said, we watched Alabama with Bryce Young go to Texas and get taken right down to the wire in that game. And if you remember, that was a game where they really struggled with the crowd noise and committed a lot of penalties. And Nealon is going to be However loud DKR was that day, the Eland will be louder. I'm sure. And wasn't so, and also wasn't there a part of the game when they were playing? Like Arkansas had that game close for a while. It was like 28-24 or whatever it was. And then they kind of blew it back open. But, you know, this is a team, you know, I, I feel like a lot of us say, okay, there's a big gap between the first four teams and everybody else. I think maybe we're overdoing it, right? If they don't have their A game, and again, you're playing with your backup quarterback who's a really inexperienced quarterback, so that probably ha- you you take your best offensive player out, and now all of a sudden you're you're moving it there. I think this is a you know like right now if he's not a, if he's not ready to go, and maybe look, we think he probably will be, but if he's not, man, I I think like if you if I said to you there was no Bryce Young in Knoxville. Would you, who would you be more inclined to, to pick to win? I would still pick Alabama simply because I don't think it's ever wise to bet against Alabama. And but I but I'll fully admit it would be a very it would be very uncertain. And the thing is, though, about Alabama, though, we have to remember um, they have the number two defense in the country. They their defense did not play poorly last night. They just kept getting put in short field. Will Anderson was credited with eight quarterback hurries. And it might have been even more than that. So, you know, Hennon Hooker has been, uh, to me, Hennon Hooker should be the Heisman favorite right now. But this is by far the best defense he's going to have faced. And that alone will, like Hennon Hooker, I don't think is going to destroy the Alabama defense. If he does, just hand him the Heisman right there. But I don't think you're going to hold them to 14 points. So Alabama is going to have to, to, you know, they're going to have to have a, a, a capable offense. And what I saw last night did not give me a lot of confidence that they can do that without Bryce Young. Clearly, they are a much different team. Shocker, without the Heisman Trophy winner, they're not the same team. Uh, just to button up on AM, we've talked about them a lot. They're still 3-3. Three and three. We expected them to lose this game. This felt a little bit like a Charlie Weiss uh, loses to USC Bush push game where it's like it was a moral, moral victory. victory. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's a loss. Are you... 
ready to crawl back on the Jimbo bandwagon? Or you're like, no, I'm, I, I need to see way more before I'm thinking, all right, he's going to have this thing headed in the right direction. No, because I don't, the only thing, the most encouraging thing to for A&M last night was the, the receivers in particular, Evan Stewart, the freshman, like, okay, they've got something there. Like they've got something to build on with those guys. Quarterback still an issue. Offensive line still an issue. So, um, you know, they're, 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 um, they've still got, I still think, you know, they have a bright future, but I still think he's got to make massive changes in terms of his approach to offense. I, again, this game was not like AM came out roaring. If, if anything, last year's AM Alabama game felt that way, right? Where, I mean, Zach Calzada tore them apart. Uh, this was not that. This was the turnovers. So, but Tennessee, I mean, we haven't even mentioned this, though, went to Death Valley. And, you know, I don't think LSU is great this year, but they're not great. They're not even, I think they're, they're, we're not even sure if they're pretty good. They're decent. They're decent. They, they, um, you know, they had going into the game, they'd only suffered one loss and it was a very, you know, weird and wild ending against Florida state and, and Tennessee just crushed them. Um, by the way, remember we had a question last week in the email about LSU special teams. Yes, right out of the gate, more mistakes. So it's definitely the most confidence I've had. Like I looked it up and, and I don't even remember this, but there was an Alabama Tennessee game in 2016 where both teams were in the top 10. Um, Tennessee had lost the week before, though. It was Butch Jones. I don't remember having any confidence in Tennessee to win that game. So it's been a long, long time since Tennessee inspired the kind of confidence they do right now, keeping it in perspective. I don't think top to bottom, Tennessee is in the same tier talent wise as Alabama and Georgia yet. But when you have a special quarterback like that, who's running uh, Josh Heupel's offense that has been very successful at, at several places, it gives you a shot. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, I want to talk about a game that happened at the same time as that uh, Tennessee LSU blowout, and that was Red River. It was not a good Red River matchup. Neither team was ranked. Uh, Quinn Ewers, we expected to play. He did. He played well. To me, the story is Brent Venables, who you and I, I think, agree was one of the best defensive coordinators, if not the best defensive coordinator of like the past seven or eight years. Took over at OU. You you did not. You were not buying in. You thought this was going to be a really mediocre team that was going to go seven and five. They had a nice start, and all of a sudden now they're even looking worse than probably anybody would have thought. 
um, and they got blasted 49 to nothing by an unranked Texas team. I did not get to watch that much of the game because my game at, uh, in the Big Ten was going on at the same time. And there was other games going on that were quite honestly more competitive. I mean, if you're an OU fan, are you how much are you hitting the panic button on Brent Venables right now? Um, I mean, what's the highest you can turn the panic meter to? Because, you know, this is three straight. They haven't lost three straight in 24 years, but it's not just that they're losing. Um, it's he's not doing anything to inspire confidence. Let's, let's put it that way. If you, so you said you didn't see much of the game, what you missed was Oklahoma with their backup quarterback because Dylan Gabriel was out trying to win. I don't even <laughs> trying to win a football game is putting it generously trying to stay in the football game, running the wildcat. Um, their backup quarterback, Davis Bevel was completely ineffective to the point where people were just incredulous that they weren't going to you know, try a different quarterback. Um, I watched part of the post-game press conference, you know, Brent Venables at Clemson had was such a, you know, you, you know, his personality, just like really gregarious, always fired up. The man looked like he had seen, like he was just like staring into a ghost. He looked just like, like the soul had been sucked out of his body. He had no explanation. And um, look, I thought it would be a rebuilding. Everybody thought I was crazy, but you just looked at the fact that you're just completely overhauling a program and they had lost so much, including, you know, obviously Caleb Williams. To me, it seemed like a no brainer that it would be somewhat of a rebuilding year, but I didn't see this where they're getting blown off the field. And obviously, obviously of all the teams to lose 49, nothing to, you know, losing a Texas is not going to go well. So I wrote about this in final thoughts. What I've seen over the years, it's hard for coaches to, to overcome a really bad first impression. You think about Willie Taggart at Florida state, that embarrassment, the first game, I just felt like he spent the whole rest of the time trying to dig out of it and never could. Um, Rich Rod at Michigan going three. It's hard, but it's, but it's not impossible. There's in the same league, Another first-time head coach with a defensive background. Dave Aranda had a, a horrific first season. He had to blow up his offensive staff. They were god-awful. And then they turned around and won the Big 12 in year two. So it's, it, I, I'm it, not yeah, saying it's going to go I, that way. It is definitely doable. It's doable, but like it's a different it's a different situation. That's even a different situation from Sark going 5-7 and seven last year in that because they have been so good for so long, including even 11-2 and two last year, that this is just what's happening right now to Oklahoma is just incomprehensible. And, and, you know, I don't know that there, and, and it's, let me, also, put it, let me put it, let me put it into the context, the incomprehensible, because I looked this up. It's not just in a vacuum of, Oh, what happened against Texas, Kansas state. They got gashed by um, Martinez and, and Deuce last week at TCU gave up almost 400 yards rushing and almost nine yards of carry in the last three games on the ground. They have given up just on the ground 932 yards in the last three games. That is like 150 more than Wisconsin gave up on the ground all of last year in 13 games combined. Wow. That's that's crazy. I mean, it's like that that bad. So I talked to a coach who is an analyst in the Big 12 who is a basically does advanced scouting for the team he works for. And I said, why are they so bad? And why have they been so bad? He goes, 
They have such communication issues and had like four monumental busts last week against TCU. And I think when you, because this person went back and goes, the issues they are having now, they did not have any of those issues ever at Clemson to this degree, where it's just communication is bad, where guys are doing different things and they're not on the same page and they're really being exposed. And I think, you know, you take it a notch further when a team is, is seems like they are not on the same page and guys just are kind of lost. The confidence is not there. And that's what you see now. All of a sudden they're like gun shy. It is, it is a big, big uh, challenge. I think for, you know, Brent Venables can simplify a lot of stuff right now. And he's probably going to have to, as you said, the offense has been really bad. I'm sure that they will improve in the second half of the season, but it's just crazy because if you looked at what they did in the, you know, like we had them in Nebraska again, and look, Nebraska was right after they fired the coach. So I think they were trying to flip it there in a, you know, in a hurry, but just, you know, like to me, they are the story, Texas, you know, good for Sark, you know, they, that's a big win, but like Oklahoma is the story right now. Like, how do you fix it? Right. And I don't even want to get into like the, the psyche of the Sooner fan, who's probably a, a bunch of them, not, I'm not saying all of them, has spent a big chunk of this this offseason kind of hating everything about Lincoln Riley and his team is 6-0 and and they are on the other side of the country or halfway on the other side of the country and just feels like they're in disarray. So that is that is another interesting wrinkle to this situation because I wonder if, I wonder if, if Lincoln Riley had left for an NFL job where he's not such a traitor and Brent Venables comes in, if there's more of a, okay, we can have a little bit of patience with this guy, but they needed Brent Venables to not just win, but to, to, to prove that they didn't need Lincoln Riley, Lincoln, they're better off without Lincoln Riley. Lord knows I got the tweets for eight months. And so not only is he, he um, getting embarrassed, losing, he's getting embarrassed. Lincoln Riley's out there winning with Caleb Williams. It's just a nightmare scenario for him. So yeah, they're going to get better. I agree with you. They'll get better, but I don't, but he doesn't have the luxury of patience, you know? So, so he's going to have to have that kind of Dave Aranda type turnaround year too, because to, to win back confidence, I do think Sark is winning back confidence pretty quickly after that rough first season. And let me go ahead and say that I had a lot of doubts about Quinn Ewers and whether he could live up to the hype. He looks really good. Um, he looks like a, like I okay. I see why this guy was rated so high as a high school quarterback. Uh, you had them winning four games this year, right? They already hit that total. <laughs> yeah my my Big Twelve predictions can you, you know can just you can just light a match, including seven and five may prove to be too optimistic for Oklahoma, but yeah Texas. I mean I had TCU finishing set, tied for last. I believe TCU is. Let me ask you, who is the Big 12 frontrunner at this point? Well, Oklahoma State had their hands full with, with Texas Tech and then ended up pulling away. Texas Tech, like who the, was who decided to start their third string quarterback. Uh, I, I feel like Oklahoma State has been the most consistent program. You know, I would not, you know, I would not give up on the Jayhawks. I definitely wouldn't give up on K-State, right? Um, mm-hmm. I watched a lot of that game. It was a you know, felt almost Farm like again. an Iowa game at times, you know, yeah. um, but they have a good run game and they're really disciplined. And, you know, it's one of these things where 
if you ask me who I would pick, to me, TCU is the most dynamic because they have Quentin Johnston was was one of my freaks list guys. I mean, he is a wow athlete who had a huge game yesterday. But I don't know if you know we've seen good things from Max Duggan, and they have they have a ton of speed. I mean, I would be hard pressed to not go with Oklahoma State just because we've seen them be really consistently good, and even if their defense is a little different. Uh, um, the other thing is that game's, you know, coming up next week and it's in Fort Worth. You know, it's that suddenly is a huge game. You know, you have two unbeatens and TCU has been a really fun team to watch. Right. And so I don't know who are you picking in that one. I gosh, I I'm a, I'm inclined to agree with you that Oklahoma State is the um, is the safe pick. Right. Because we've seen them do this. I did concern. So Texas Tech, Joey McGuire um, decided to give his redshirt freshman a shot yesterday. Um, and he lo- and he performed very well. And it surprised me that Oklahoma State's defense would give up as much as it did. But I mean, he threw for almost 400 yards and there was a bunch of plays early on where I saw where he was kind of having to run for his life. And still, I thought he, you know, I mean, he's a guy I knew came in as a pretty big recruit for them, but I thought he he played well. You can't blame the tech offense. I think they had almost, almost 570 think, yards or something. I think Oklahoma state is my pick. The thing with TCU and the thing with Sonny Dykes, Sonny Dykes is a great offensive coach and you're seeing that right play out right now for reasons I've never understood his TCU teams also always started. I mean, sorry for reasons I don't understand his SMU teams would often start five and O six and O seven and O and then collapse down the stretch. I don't, my only possible theory is that eventually defenses figure out the offense to some extent. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I'm kind of, kind of have to see it to believe it, but I do think they will be right in, in the mix till the end. The one that we may have gotten a little ahead of ourselves on is K state. Um, They, because we didn't know how terrible Oklahoma was yet when they beat them. So, you know, you said you watched the 10 to nine game. I did. I watched a bunch of it on the plane. So. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know that they're going to still be in the mix at it. And then Kansas, I mean, that to me was one of the most entertaining games of the day because Jalen Daniels gets knocked out. And by the way, I was saying this to John before you came on. The amount of games I watched yesterday where one or both teams quarterbacks was hurt or got hurt is is really unfortunate. Jalen Daniels went out shoulder injury. In comes Jason Bean, North Texas transfer Jason Bean. He throws four touchdowns in the second half. And it would there was a sequence there where three touchdowns in a row between the two teams were all incredible catches by a receiver who would then miraculously stay in bounds. It was just like a great offensive down-to-the-wire duel. The Horn Frogs bested the Jayhawks, kept the Jayhawks from getting bowl eligible for another week. Kansas is good. They really are. I, they're going to beat they're Oklahoma they're, this week, right? It would seem to be the case in a very Big Twelve way. It probably won't happen, but yeah. um, you know, you never know. Um, but they're fun to watch. They're fun to watch. I mean, Jason Bean slings the ball around. He can really run. Uh, the, the fun wrinkles they put in with him. I mean, that that game lived up to the lived up to the the hype, you know. So. It's a good day for the Big 12, other than the Oklahoma piece of it. And look, honestly, if you're if you're the Big 12, you're like, you know what? They're going to be the SEC's problem if they can't get it. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, that that's okay. Yet, and I don't want to keep going down the Brent Venables. Well, we got to change the topic here, but that is another factor in terms of the panic. This is you're starting to wonder: is this the guy that's going to take us into the SEC? So again, in a in a in a vacuum, in a world where there's understanding and patience that oh, he's going to need time to bring his players in. They're completely changing from a you know a coach who was an offensive guru to a defensive guru. Everybody chill. But I just don't think that's the environment he's working in there. Uh, can we uh, talk about, since we're talking about conference realignment moves, can we talk about the two teams in my city who yes. right now should be among the biggest stories in college football because they are both 6-0 and for the first time together since 2005. Um, and that was, I think, the Reggie and do you remember? Do you remember what happened when those, when those two finally met at the end of the season? Um, I know UCLA lost because I know where USC was, was rolling too. So I don't remember much more than that though. I was at the game. I think you were too. I think we drove to the game together, believe it or not. I can remember that. And it was a winner takes all for the PAC 12. I'm looking this up now. UCLA was ranked 11th going into the game. They were nine and two and USC won 66 to 19. Um, to me, that was, that was the moment when UCLA fans throw in the towel on Carl Durrell. Anyway, I'm not predicting that because you know why? I'm going to make a statement here on the podcast. I think UCLA is the better team. I don't think it's that shocking to say that. I mean, they right now, DTR, you, you mentioned Hendon Hooker. DTR deserves to be in the Heisman race for the first half of the season. Absolutely. I know he, I know he threw a pick six uh, at the end of the game. Um, but beyond that, I mean, he is so dynamic. He's a really good fit for the system. Zach Charbonnet, who is one of my picks in our Heisman fantasy, you know, I don't think Zach's going to win the Heisman, but he almost ran for 200 yards. He is a hammer in that offense, and they want to be physical. But the other thing is, I'm hesitant to say this because I think people were so down on UCLA's defense before, but, like, they're very opportunistic. I feel like in a lot of ways they remind me of what USC is doing but I would say this, and look, they are beating Washington doesn't look as good now that Washington just lost to Arizona State, and that Michigan State win doesn't carry a, you know, a ton of juice either. That was a really good football team they beat yesterday. And at one point, I think they were up by like 20 on Utah, right? And um, to do what they do on offense, like they're hard to get off the field, right? You're like, oh, if we can just keep up. They don't waste a lot of possessions. You know, their punter is not not coming out on the field, right? And so I think you have arguably the two best play callers in college football in Los Angeles right now. And I think that you're seeing a team that is playing with a lot of confidence. USC on the other side, I watched a bunch of that game on the way home. You know, it's almost surprising when they don't score just because Caleb seems like he has that thing rolling, but like, you know, at times they sputter a little bit. Right. And I have less confidence in their defense now than I do. Um, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see, they have two, both have interesting games coming up one against Utah. That's obviously USC. And the other one is, is Chip Kelly going up against his old school, Oregon. I mean, those are going to be fun games to watch. I actually think USC's defense has been better than I thought it would be. Um, I mean, they shut down Cameron Ward yesterday. Um, Eric Gentry is a weapon for them because he's just so long, right? He's a unique kind of defensive player. Tuli Pelotu had three sacks. Uh, he was he was wrecking him. It's more that 
like you said, I feel like the USC offense is very boomer bust. They've got Caleb. They've got Jordan Addison. They've got Mario Williams. They've got Travis Dye. How do they only score 30 points yesterday, right? Like this is, you feel like this offense should score four. or how did they, frankly, the biggest mystery was the Oregon state game. So I feel like they're all over the map, whereas UCLA is very consistently scoring 40 points a game uh, in the Pac-12. So look, USC probably has more of a ceiling because with UCLA, you're talking about, you know, veteran players who you know what you're going to get. Some of these USC guys are still really young. Uh, but right now they just UCLA seems like the more reliable team. And like you said, that was a, that was a good Utah team um, that they put up a lot of points against. I feel bad for Cam rising who is, I think a really good quarterback, but his interception in the end zone cost them the um, cost them the, the Florida game at the beginning of the year. And then he had a turnover that's completely swung the game uh, yesterday where it was a close game. And the next thing, you know, UCLA is up 17. So like you said, UCLA at Oregon will be a good one. USC at Utah this week will be a good one. Oregon, since that Georgia game, is scoring almost 50 points a game. Bo Nix has been very good. So turns out Was- the, the Washington hype was way premature. We didn't realize how bad Michigan State was when they beat them. They lost to ASU. Washington lost yesterday to an Arizona State team with an interim coach and a walk-on quarterback um, when our Emory Jones got hurt. Not good. So I think you've got basically you uh, the two LA schools in Oregon, uh, and maybe Utah still, but obviously they, they have two losses, but only one in conference, vying for the Pac-12 title. And by the all, way, by uh, the way, still alive for the playoff. By the way, um, speaking of Tuli Tuli Pelotu, who's been a become a dominant force for USC on the defense, um, two of the breakout stars of college football this year, he and Jalen Daniels, both played at Lawndale High School, which is really close to where I live. Um, and neither one was, a, I think, a huge recruit. Uh, so it's interesting that that team was a good team. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like they're at Bosco or, or Modern Day or one of these places where they're getting a ton of hype. It's just um, they both turned out to have like breakout seasons at the same time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, I do want to ask you, since we're in the Pac-12, I'm going to ask you a very personal question, Stu. Um, your alma mater, Northwestern, has been a, kind of a dud in football for a little while now. They had the, you know, they've had some good years under fits, but really 
they they stink right now. They got they got smoked. <laughs> I was waiting by for you to be more blunt about it. Yeah, They're terrible. They got, smoked, they got smoked by Wisconsin and Jim Leonard's first game as the interim head coach. The school in your backyard, Stanford. I think they've lost ten in a row against FBS. Eleven. Eleven. They were uh, about to break it. By the way, they were about to finally end that streak late, late, late last night, and then Oregon State with the to me the play of the day, the the fifty two yard. Uh, game-winning touchdown sent Stanford's losing streak against F- against FBS teams to 11. Okay, let me ask you this. So you're a diehard Northwestern guy. You're in your little Northwestern group chats and everything of probably a bunch of sports writers. Pat Fitzgerald and David Shaw are both among the most respected coaches by their peers in, col- in football, not just college football. They probably each had been mentioned for NFL jobs. They're at tough places to win, Stanford, especially with the high, high, really high academic challenges of getting people into school there, especially when it comes to transfers. Neither program has been like ever, you know, it's not like they're Ohio State or USC expectations. What do you think should happen at both of those schools? Yeah, so a lot of people have been asking me something to that effect. Um, yesterday was, I think, the first time I've ever gotten texts from And I'm not just talking like casual Northwestern friends, like some of the Northwestern uh, sports media mafia who are like ready to fire Fitz, which is just nuts to me after everything he's done there. But anyway, the difference between there's a couple of differences between the two, Um, you know, Northwestern has this is going to be the third time in four years that they probably go three and nine or worse. But there was a Big Ten title game appearance and top 10 ranking in between there in the COVID season. So it's not so that success is not quite as distant as it is at Stanford, which um, had that amazing run of three Pac-12 titles in four years. But the last one was 2015. And they are I honestly think they're in danger of going one and 11. When you look at their schedule like this was the winnable game, Oregon State playing with his backup quarterback. I guess ASU you would throw in there. They do not play Colorado. They still have to play uh, uh, Notre Dame this coming week. Uh USC, BYU, um, they could be looking at one. Like I would think their best case scenario is two and 10. So, but here's where there's some differences. Like I said, Northwestern success, a little bit more recent. Fitz is still for the most part revered there. Everybody's frustrated with him right now. He made a bad DC hire. He, for whatever reason, can't seem to recruit a high school quarterback. Um, But he's, you know, because he was a legendary player there and he's been their coach for 16 years. And he's he's he is also kind of like a little bit like the dean of Big Ten coaches. Uh, He's hard guy not to like. And 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 is I'm not sure there's any coach out there who's like more synonymous with his school. Like he bleeds purple and he's, you know, anyway, like people are frustrated with him. They should be. There's no excuse for them to be this bad. He's not getting fired. He signed a 10-year contract last year. Like, he needs to make some serious changes. He's not getting fired. The Stanford situation is much uglier to me because David Shaw, for all the success he's had, I don't know that Stanford fans have ever been as enamored with him as Northwestern is with Fitz. And he's just been so stubborn and so resistant to change uh, for so long now that it's hard to see how he digs out of it. And then you get into the factor that you just alluded to, you know, Northwestern is a good academic school, but Northwestern can take transfers and they do. In fact, some of their best players in the last few years have been transfers. Um, 
Stanford, because the admissions prop, because the university is so strict about athletes have to go through the same admissions process as everybody else. It's almost impossible to get an undergrad transfer in there. They would have to know that they want to go to Stanford a year in advance and, and do the whole process and whatnot. So they occasionally get a grad transfer like Patrick Fields from Oklahoma, but Patrick Fields just decided he wanted to go to grad school at Stanford and did all that um, regardless of the football. And so you're in a conference with teams like, you know, we watched Lincoln Riley completely flip USC's roster through the portal. UCLA, Chip Kelly, most of his best players are transfers. And you're stuck there with a roster that if you miss on a recruiting class or two, you're just stuck with that roster. You have no way to, to plug the holes with transfers. So that's a bad, bad deal. And I don't know. I, it's, it's becoming increasingly hard for me to see. I, I think it's similar in that Stanford would be very, very reluctant to fire David Shaw. But I'm, it's becoming increasingly difficult for me to see him staying as their coach for much longer because it's just you don't see a way out. I, I would I bet you if and we both respect David Shaw a lot, I think. And um, I think if you are a Stanford probably alum, you're probably hoping God, he he's his name comes up for NFL jobs. He obviously he's, has a lot of connections to the NFL network. You see him on this draft coverage. You would almost hope he would just jump at an NFL job. Yeah. And kind but, but of is his stock separate that way? I mean, there was a time when when NFL teams were swooning over him. Is his stock still like would he still what what kind of NFL job would he be able to get? I think what's different is like if it's a college coach, people are going, well, how can you hire a guy who just went one and eleven in the NFL? It's weird. Like, I think you're not really worried about the recruiting piece of it. You're not really worried about boosters. Like if you believe it, like we've seen some hires that they've made where you're like, okay, I don't know how that's going to work, but it's like they did it and they're going to ride it out and let's see. So I don't necessarily think, you know, yeah, if you're an NFL coach, if you're hiring a college guy, like Urban definitely did not help college coaches by going in there. But David Shaw has more NFL experience and connections than Urban did. And he but runs I think an NFL system the problem yeah is but look it's in like an outdated nfl system but you're also like even nfl at, teams aren't running that playbook anymore right but but he knows the nfl culture is different than what urban did the, the the hard part is you know now all of a sudden matt rule is struggling mightily too and i just think that there'll be more hesitation to to sign on for the guy who has really limited limited uh nfl experience matt rule i think had one year as an as a giant's assistant Right. So I don't know what the what the fix is there. I think you would hope say, hey, look, he's got to shake up his staff and make some tough decisions on that, because right now they are just that program is backslid so far. And I think there's going to be you know a portion of people going, you know what? He took over for Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh had that thing rolling and did the heavy lifting to get it there. I don't know if that's fair to say it that way, but that's definitely um that's definitely different. Whereas you said, you know, Fitz is sprinkled in, you know, it would be like the one and eight in big 10 player. They're eight and one. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's just, it's just, um, it's just different, right? Well, now. there's a behind the scenes moment that I, most people don't realize, but it's not, I mean, look, it's not fair to Shaw to say like, Oh, this is all Harbaugh's doing. I mean, Harbaugh was long gone and they were still winning uh, a Pac-12 championship, but from, but there've been some holdovers from, when Harbaugh got hired in 2007. And for a long time, 
Shannon Turley was their head strength coach and he became renowned as one of the top strength coaches in the country. And he was, you know, um, uh, credited a lot with how they became such a, you know, known as such a physical smash mouth team. He got fired by the school in the spring of 2019 over some incident that's never the details of which have never fully emerged. He's a Colorado now. And this downward spiral began that fall. So, um, you know, I think that, I think there's been a lot of contributing factors, but don't, don't overlook that one. So um, he's going to have to eat. If he is back next season, he's going to have to make major changes. I think if you're a Stanford fan, you're hoping that maybe he decides on his own that it's time for a change, but you know, He's very good on NFL Network. I don't, I have no, this is not based on any conversation with him or anything, but if he wanted to go full-time NFL Network, I'm sure they would take him in a second. So something to consider there. Um, but, but I'm, it, it's, it's, you know, you were right to bring up the parallel because there are parallels there. You were in Bloomington yesterday for the Michigan Indiana game. Big noon just seems to be following the Wolverines wherever they go. You've got them again this week, although it's a, an actual big game against Penn state. And you had an anecdote you wanted to share from your trip to IU. Yeah, we went. So we end up doing some different things around the campuses or community while we're in town. And one of the things we did this weekend was we went to Hoosier Hysteria, which they introduced the um, the basketball teams there. And that was very cool. It was my first time, not really technically my first time being in Assembly Hall, but it was the first time for a real basketball event. I had I've once been there for a, we interviewed Jim Harbaugh's sister, Tom Crean's wife for a Harbaugh piece, but it was in like the lobby. This was, the place was not packed to the rafters, but it was the, the main sections were, were jammed. And that is an awesome venue. It's just like, it goes straight up. And I was like, this place is like, I don't know if I've ever been in a basketball arena that felt like that. And it was just a very cool setting. Also, um, I had never really walked around that campus till Friday morning. It's a really one of the nicest campuses I think I've ever been on. So our game turned out to be competitive. I've seen a bunch of Michigan now, three, you know, three weeks in a row. I do think they are, you know, a legit playoff contender because I think they're getting better on defense, and especially on the defensive line. You know, you're seeing uh, a Yabi, formerly a Yabi Anoma, a Yabi Oki can looks like he can be a dominant pass rusher as he keeps getting acclimated. You know, he came in in camp. They have, you know, Mozzie Smith was our top freaks list guy. He is a dominant inside force and, you know, quietly or sort of quietly, you know, Blake Corum is, is deserves to be at least in some Heisman consideration. Like I think they're really good, you know, and this will be a good game against Penn state coming in there. They're both undefeated. Um, to see it's kind of like a, I don't want to say it's like a, a playoff elimination game. Cause I think both teams could, if they lose and keep winning, could still probably have be playoff teams, but it was a, you know, it was an interesting weekend. I was not expecting in the end to be as competitive as they were. And they were competitive at least for, you know, three quarters. It's not a playoff elimination game because of Ohio state. So let's say, uh, let's say, say Penn state wins they would still need to beat Ohio state. If Michigan loses, but turns around and beats Ohio state, they could win the division, but it is, it's to me, it's most interesting because I mean, Michigan's six and oh, and who's the best team they played in that stretch, I guess, Maryland. Yeah. Maryland's, so, Maryland's a good offensive team. So this is a step up and I'm excited to see it. 
I just thought of something though. Were you on the sideline when Mike Hart had his uh, medical event? I was not. In fact, I was on, I had just gone in. Our green room was really right off the field. I went inside and it happened in a break. And then I, you know, actually I kind of ran back outside because I was trying to help Jenny Taft, um, our sideline reporter who's doing the game. And so I went over to where the ambulance was stationed, which was in the in the opposite, the tunnel on the opposite side of the end zone. And what I was struck by was, you know, I was waiting there with Mike Principato, who was my old sideline producer, who's Jenny's now. And we were just kind of, you know, observing and waiting. And, you know, we saw him get loaded into the ambulance and they were waiting for his wife to come down. And when I went out there, it didn't dawn on me till that moment that, oh yeah, he had been an assistant here. And so many people in the IU community, especially in the IU athletic department, know him really well. And so, you know, a couple of people came over to me <clears throat> and were really um, kind of reeling emotionally to see, and Mike's young, you know, it's not like he's like a 59 year old or 70 year old assistant coach um, to see him loaded into the ambulance like that. Uh, it was, it's a scary moment. It was very emotional um, for a lot of folks there who know him and love him. So it was just kind of, you know, I don't know, as a reporter, you just kind of hustle to try to, you know, to, to also kind of pitch in any way you can, but also, you know, at that point, it's because it's a medical situation, you know, you're waiting on really an official word from somebody, you know, a spokesperson at Michigan beyond what you, you're observing of, mm -hmm. you know, when the, when the ambulance is going to pull out to go to the hospital. And the official word, uh, fortunately, was that he was in stable condition. Uh, he stayed overnight. I don't have an update at this moment. Um, it it's just astounding that you know often you'll see right this happens with where a player gets carted off the field and the and the whole team is is around and and then they got to go back and play football but this one i mean michigan players were in tears uh, blake corum i mean this is their guy this is their position coach you've just watched him i don't know if they actually saw him have the seizure but they certainly saw that he had collapsed and take was taken away to the and then everybody's crying and it's like, all right, game on. I, I just don't, I mean, I can't imagine like how you turn around and then focus on the game. Um, yeah. I mean, you're and also, like I said, this guy's only 36 years old. Yeah. I mean, so when you see somebody so young, he was obviously, he was a great athlete. He was like an all conference running back, not that long ago. Um, you know, just in terms of like context, I mean, we have our big noon crew. He's younger than, um, he played after Reggie and Brady and Liner. So, I mean, just kind of like, it's, I don't say it's surreal, but it's just kind of like a, you know, you, you're just kind of like reeling as you see that just because of, to me, just because he was, he's so young. Well, hopefully we get some good news on him, um, later today. All right, Stu, it's time for shout outs. Who do you got this week? Who do I got this week? Um, how do I narrow, how do I narrow it down? Um, this is a good time to bring up some group of five stuff. Right. And I guess, I guess my main shout out is while we were recording this, the AP new AP top 25 came out. James Madison has entered the top 25 Bruce. This is a school that was playing in the FCS last year. You would think moving up to FCS to FBS would take a little bit of time, but here we are six weeks into the season and they are an undefeated top 25 team that is unfortunately ineligible for the postseason because they're in their transition year. 
But to me, that's that's a pretty astounding feat. Yeah. Shout out to Kurt Signetti. Um, he's an old Wanstead guy, in fact. So there you have it. Um, they're rolling. My shout out of the week, I'm going to go also group of five, Toledo cornerback Quinion Mitchell. Four interceptions on Saturday, including two pick sixes and the win over Northern Illinois. I went back and looked. Just in the interceptions he had yesterday, four, that's more than 36 FBS teams have all season. And most of those teams have played six games. I'm, I'm sure it's happened, but I, four interceptions in a game by one player is pretty astounding. I think Riley Moss from Iowa had three uh, in one of those games early last year. Um and then I, re- be- I remember talking to uh, Dwayne Aquino, you know, he's the, like a little kind of legendary secondary yeah. coach now at Stanford. And once he was start, we were talking about Chuck Cecil and he said there was a game Chuck Cecil played where he thought that it was like, I think he had three and he could have had six. Um, you were at a game with me when it was a monsoon kind of game in Tallahassee where Sean Taylor probably should have had four. Remember that was the game where Dodd ended up like retreating to buy a poncho with a huge Chief Osceola on it, right? I remember. I mean, I remember the rain and I remember the game. I do not remember that Sean Taylor had a ton of interceptions. It probably would have had like five. I remember anything specific game, about the game, but I think um, Chris Ricks was the quarterback back then. Oh, of course, of course. That that's why there were so many interceptions involved. Um, there's a lot of good stories in the group of five this year, but but the main thing that stands out to me is there's not. And obvious, this is the, you know, this is this year's Cincinnati or this year's UCF, unless it actually is Cincinnati. Um, Tulane is sneaking around there at five and one. Yeah, Tulane. San Jose a, State is sneaking around. Tulane has a very nice win also yep. uh, from their time in the Big 12, right? Good job for, you know, Willie Fritz, who is a little bit of like the Lance Leipold mold of a guy who won at a different level and is probably not a guy that most college football fans would be able to recognize his picture, but he just consistently wins. They won at K state, which that's a really good win, you know? So they had a a win over Houston, by the way, that was a wild game. I don't know if you guys watched the ending of the Houston Memphis game um, Friday night, which was pretty insane. I I got caught up in the Nebraska Rutgers game, unfortunately. And how could you not, right? How could you not get caught up in that one? So. Uh, maybe, maybe we should give a sh- quick shout out to the Huskers who are tied for first in the Big Ten West. Yeah, Mickey Joseph has them going. The other one, like shout out to all these interim guys. Brent Key, now 2-0. and um, I've had some pretty crummy picks this year against the spread, but I did have that as my upset special. They are 2-0 and at Georgia Tech since he took over. Former team captain and, and um, kind of a Georgia O'Leary protege from his days there at UCF. I don't know if Brent Key can win enough to keep the job, but he's made them very interesting. It was, uh, I think the interim coach has been undefeated. Um, this they weekend. did. Jimmy Leonard won. Obviously, Mickey Joseph won. Brent Key won. Um, Colorado State. didn't play. Colorado didn't play. Arizona State, yeah. Sean probably for the best. Like, they're yeah. playing well. They're playing well for him yeah, at, at ASU. So, All right. Um as always, you can send your emails to the at gmail.com for our second episode of the week on Wednesday. And we'll see you next time.